Hello, thank you for listening again to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. What you're about to hear is an interview of sorts, or really just a discussion about Jesus. And uh, that was between uh, Ed Bragwell and I uh, last week while he was holding the meeting for us at uh, the North Columbus Church of Christ here in Columbus, Mississippi. And we encourage you to take a listen to this. I did want to make some quick notes and let you know that... uh, While Brother Ed had the good mic, I might say, uh, I had just sort of a sort of an array mic that didn't really do very well for my uh, own voice. So I want to apologize for the lack of audio quality on that side. But I certainly hope that uh, that what Brother Ed was saying was coming across well. And that was my whole intention. So just wanted to make sure that you know about that. And without further ado. Let's go walking through the book. Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. And I'm Ed Bragwell. We want to talk to you today about the Bible. Specifically, we want to talk to you about something topical today. Uh, This is a special episode of Walking Through the Book, and we encourage you to follow along uh, in your Bibles, if at all possible. We're grateful for you taking the time to be with us. And uh, All right, a couple of things that we want to um, remind you of. Of course, our website at NorthColumbusChristians.com. We've got plenty of uh, resources for you to consider there. We've got a few podcasts going on. We try to have a blog updated every Wednesday, if at all possible. And uh, so we encourage you to take a look at that. And also, if you will, check out GardenCityCOC.org. That's the website of the congregation that Bryant Bales, the other normal host, preaches at. And uh, Brother Ed, what, uh, what's the website of the Kimberly Congregation? It's, I believe, KimberlyChurchOfChrist.com. Uh, Ed Bragwell is uh, preaching our gospel meeting this week at North Columbus Church of Christ and uh, just decided to kind of pick his brain a little bit today. And uh, what we're going to do is just kind of talk about just some very general things uh, concerning uh, more or less what he's been speaking about this week. And uh, the topic has really centered around Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us and all the different things that he is uh, for us in the new covenant. And there's a lot to consider in terms of this. And, you know, Jesus was a figure that was, of course, is a figure that was greatly prophesied and greatly uh, shown forward in the scriptures uh, before, uh, really, uh, scriptures tell us before the foundation of the world that uh, that God had had made this plan with his son and uh, so, Brother Ed, if you would just introduce yourself, if you don't mind. And well, I uh, am retired from full-time preaching work and live and worship with the church in Kimberly, Alabama, just north of Birmingham. And uh, hold meetings from as have opportunity like this one this week here at uh, North Columbus. We are enjoying the week. Uh, I might uh, 
Stephen, run down what we've talked about. Uh, give the topics we've talked about so far and uh, give folks the idea of what we've been talking about, an overview of it. And then uh, maybe mention what we'll be talking about tonight at the uh, uh, North Columbus Church. Uh, we started Sunday with Jesus as the Lamb of God. And then we followed that up with the uh, Jesus, the Lion of Judah. And then also we had three lessons on Sunday. Our lawgiver. And then we've had uh, Jesus, King of Kings and Lord of Lords on Monday. And then on Tuesday, we talked about Jesus, the head of the church. And then Wednesday, we talked about Jesus, a stone of stumbling. And last night, we talked about Jesus, our great high priest. Tonight, we're going to talk about uh, Jesus, the author of salvation. And our Remarks tonight I'll have to do with his, uh, I'll start to say his part, but uh, his uh, author, authoring the uh, plan of salvation and things that have to do with that salvation that we receive through Jesus Christ. Very good. And it, it's really been a good, a good week overall uh, to remind us of some very basic things. Um, Brother Ed, what are, what are some ways that uh, that people tend to go wrong when they're looking at Jesus? What what are some things that they focus on that maybe they don't need to be focusing on? Or well, uh, I don't know that uh, I could come up with anything that they focus on too much. But I think a lot of times that they look at Jesus simply as uh, as the Savior, which, which that's good, but to not realize what all is involved in that salvation. And uh, as though Jesus came and died on the cross and went back to uh, his Father in heaven, sitting at the right, right hand of God, and then that makes it automatically all right. What I mean by that, everything's right with every person. Uh, once Jesus has done that, and that almost uh, goes into the idea of universal salvation, that once Jesus did his work, then uh, nothing's left up for us to do. So we just wait for the eternal salvation that will come at the end of the day. Whereas uh, there's a great deal that's involved in his workings past the time that he came and died on the cross. He came and died uh, and was raised from the dead and went to sit with the right hand of God on high. And he's there and he's working on our behalf, those who are saved particularly, uh, on our behalf every day and every hour of our lives. He's there at the right hand of God. He's acting as a high priest. Uh, that's one aspect of it you don't hear a great deal about, is the fact that he's the priest. He's the only priest that uh, we can go through and have access to the Father. And by the Son, Jesus Christ, who came and died and when he rose from the dead and he sat down at the right hand of God on high, he became uh, both high priest and king. And so he's king of kings and lord of lords. Not only are, is he our lord to whom we must submit, but he's also our high priest from whom we received help as Christians, striving to be Christians uh, day in and day out. And one of your... Uh 
verses from last night's, uh, one of your passages from last night's lesson was Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, one of the things that, that sort of is at the core, and what the Bible tells us about is there's the problem of sin. Um, the problem of sin uh, requires uh, a, a solution. And if, in fact, you're talking about, you know, people, if this is some sort of universalist idea, why do the New Testament authors uh, beckon so much for us to to come to this high priest, uh, to, to approach him in that way? Well, uh, they emphasize that because in Hebrews 5, 8 and 9, he says, uh, even though he's a son, he learned obedience by the things he suffered and been made perfect or complete. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So he is the author of our eternal salvation, all right enough. But as we'll emphasize tonight in the lesson, he's also he's that author but and has brought the salvation, but he expects us to be obedient to that offer, be obedient to the grace that he brought. Uh, the grace without obedience is not the grace of the New Testament. Uh, we hear a great deal about being saved by grace as though that means that since Jesus died, then there's nothing in the world that we can do uh, on our, I started to say on our own, not really on our own, but uh, that we can do uh, in order to be saved because he's done it all. Well, as far as procuring our salvation is concerned, he's done it all. But as He's done it for whom, though? He's he's done it for those who obey him. There are generally three ideas associated with that. Sometimes people will say, well, uh, since he died on the cross, he died for all men, therefore all men are going to be saved. Uh, so the universalist ideas we talked about a moment ago. Then there's a Calvinistic idea that he only died for the elect. And so he died for certain ones, uh, and before the foundation of the world, that he decided who those would be. And so he picked out John Doe, our Mary Smith, and said they're going to be saved. Then he uh, takes the two, two or three other people on the other side of the coin. They are decided to be lost. So they're going to be the sa lost or saved according to a decree before the foundation of the world. And uh, in either case, the universalist case or the Calvinistic case leaves out obedience. You don't, if he's died for all men and all men's going to be saved regardless, then you don't need obedience. And then if he's uh, going to just uh, be saved for the elect or a, salva a salvation or a savior of the elect, then he's going to uh, save them regardless. And it's going, the others are going to be lost regardless. So that leaves out anything on the part of mankind. So really what you have, you have a situation where you could reduce the New Testament into about two paragraphs, and that's all there'd be wood to it. Jesus died for you. 
He died either for every man or he died for the elect, and there's nothing else you can do about him. But a great part of the New Testament is to teach us how to uh, respond to that uh, great salvation that he's brought our way and uh, making it conditional. So he's telling us what he wants us to do and reveals what he wants us to do as Christians, and we respond to that by way of obedience to that which he wants us to do, making it conditional. And so then in order to meet the conditions, we have to know what those conditions are. And in doing that, we need the entirety of the New Testament not only to tell us who Christ is, but to tell us what Christ expects of us in order to be a follower of his and a child of God so that we can go to heaven when we die. And there is an there, there is an enabling aspect to that obedience. You Absolutely, know, it's not that we create this ourselves. God still, in His grace and mercy, has given right. us this plan. But uh, you know, you look in Revelation twenty two fourteen. Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. And and there's an, an all inclusiveness to this uh, invitation as well. In verse seventeen of that same chapter, and the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Uh, that idea really collapses right. what you were just talking about. Uh, I've thought about that, uh, Stephen, a lot of times. Uh, the person who takes the position that God has preordained which individual could be saved and which individual would be lost, rather than preordained that certain class of uh, individuals be saved, that is, those who are obedient. Uh, if he'd arbitrarily made that decision and uh, then uh, forced that on the world, then uh, it puts a great deal of what he said in the Scriptures uh, to be absurd. And you think for just a moment. Uh, suppose that I uh, had a dog, pet dog, and you've got one here at your house. Uh, if you had it and you chained it to a tree, out there, and you sit, tell the dog, come here, whatever you want to call his name, and he comes to the end of the chain, he can't come any further. And you yell at him, and you throw rocks at him, you go out and give him a good hard spanking because he didn't come, and then go back and call him again, he just comes to the end of the chain and looks at you, and, and moans, and, uh, well, what's happened? You chain him to the tree, tell him to come, and he can't come. Now, what kind of an owner of a dog would go whip that uh, dog and give it a hard time because it didn't come to him? Because he was chained by the master to start with. That puts Jesus in the position when he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, or the bride and the spirit say, Come. When he says that, but you can't do it. If you're not among the elect, you could not come. Uh, those who are arbitrarily chosen to uh, be uh, saved, if you're not among them, there's no way you could respond to that invitation. And secondly, when he says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved, and he believes not shall be condemned, or in Mark 16, 15 and 16, well, you've got these people going into all the world for nothing. Uh, they're out there, they're preaching Jesus to all the world. And yet, when it comes time for them to respond to Jesus, there's no response to be made 
because the response has already been made for them. And so you're telling folks, uh, he that believes as baptized shall be saved, and he that believes not shall be damned. But if you are, are one of God's uh, ones that is uh, condemned to be lost from the foundation of the world, then to say that he that believes not shall be damned, who's responsible for the damnation? Of course, God is, if that's the case. And uh, who would want to serve a God that would tell you in advance that you're lost in hell and there wouldn't be anything you can do about it? Uh, I read one account where one fellow said that uh, the reason that those uh, ones were predestined to hell that that glorified God, that that showed glory to God and showed what a great God he is. It was in contrast to uh, the, what they received in hell. But I can't buy that. And the uh, the very absurdity of him pre- saying, go preach the gospel, and people can't respond to it uh, unless they are chosen to do so. And it's nothing they can do about it. And they can't uh, come to the Lord. Nothing they can do about it. And I would be for putting a fellow in jail who would treat an animal that way to tell him to come and receive the blessing that I have for him, the treat or the food or whatever I held out to him. And then he couldn't come at all. Then I'd uh, go and beat him half to death because he didn't do it. I would be for putting him in jail. I, and when the Lord's put in that position, it frankly, it... Uh, irritates me just a little bit to think that our Lord would be that, that kind of Lord that say, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and it wouldn't be a thing in the world a person who hears it could do, but uh, either respond or not respond according to, according to how he'd been predestined to begin with. Yeah, I, I did interface once with um, a fellow who was, I would say, hardline Calvinist in the sense that he would even say that um, Jesus didn't die for the whole world, yeah. that he only died for the elect. Right. Not, not all of them go that far. Yeah. But, um, you know, I basically told him that, you know, if, if what you're saying is the truth, I don't want to serve God. Right. You know, I, I, that probably sounds like a pretty extreme thought. Yeah. But, uh, but that doesn't reflect the God that we know from the scriptures and the love that he shows. Um, you know, but but we do see, and you know, since we kind of have gotten on this topic, <clears throat> we do see a lot of people, even among the Lord's Church, flocking to this right. idea today. Why why do you think that is? Because it's a it's a pretty sad doctrine when you really think about it. Yeah, and I think years ago people dismissed it that way. Right. Well, I think uh, one reason is uh, there's. There's two sides of man. Uh, there's spiritual side and the fleshly side. And I think that uh, the it appeals to people somewhat if it's a matter of God's grace. And that's where all the emphasis is. And if it's a matter of that, it kind of leaves me in a position where I can uh, not be too careful about the way I treat God's uh, commandments, uh, treat his examples for uh, in the New Testament. And I don't have to be quite as careful about that and be as concerned about uh, falling away or anything like that. 
And uh, because I've got the grace of God, the mercy of God to cover it. Uh, and the grace of God was never intended to be uh, that sort of thing. In fact, he says uh, in the New American Standard Version of Hebrews chapter 10 uh, and verse 26, if we go on sinning willfully, after we receive the knowledge of the, of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. Then he goes on down the, in that same connection down through verse 29, where he says that one uh, who does that and turns away uh, from that and sins willfully, that is, he continues to go on sinning willfully, that he does despite to the spirit of grace. Uh, one tra translation says he insults the uh, spirit of grace. So that person that insults the spirit of grace is the person who goes on sin willfully. Well, you say, what has that to do with the uh, idea of, of these today that are saying that uh, we're saved by grace and not by obedience? Well, this is uh, what it does. It puts them in a position where if uh, they encourage people to put all the emphasis upon the grace and to take the emphasis off of obedience, it encourages people to deliberately be careless. Uh, that is, not be so careful about the lives and the way they live. Well, that, in, to me, in that sense, they are continually, willfully continually in sin. Uh, when they do that, they are willfully ignorant. As one translation says of another passage, they are willfully ignorant of what God would have them to do. You know, one of the passages that, that I think people will use as a proof text to try to prove this position is out of John 10, uh -huh. where, you know, and, and this is just sort of related in the whole thing. Yeah. You know, um, and, and we use the term once saved, always saved. There's other terms for that, this idea where yeah, Jesus, yeah, perseverance. Uh, and, and in John 10 and verse, uh, Verse 27, Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And and that that's one of the passages, I think, that, that people use. But, of course, the big thing there is that Jesus isn't saying that they're unable to sin. No. Or that they're unable to, to fall away or go right. away. And, and, and you look further in some other statements uh, of Jesus in the book of John, and you get this idea. Like, for example, in John 5, in verse 19, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. So it's the idea that, that Jesus does nothing unless he sees the Father right. doing it or approving it right. for him to do. Right. And, and and I think those ideas together help us to kind of refocus and say, it does matter what we do and what right. we don't do. Uh, the only way we can know uh, what the Father wants of us is he tells us. Uh, he doesn't ha uh, we don't have his mind. I can't read his mind. And the only way that I know that he wants or approves of this is he tells me. And he tells me that, of course, through his word, through the teaching of his word. And we have to realize that, and uh, 
we're to be obedient unto that. And to say that obedience uh, negates grace is absurd. Uh, or to say that we should emphasize one above the other is absurd. They go together. They're like uh, hand, the hand and the glove. They fit each other. And uh, to, and it makes it absolutely absurd to say that uh, you have one without the other. You, uh, in matter of fact, Jesus Himself said uh, that uh, if we do all that we are commanded to do, we are still to say we're unprofitable servants. We've only done that which is our duty to do. So even if I were to, and that's hypothetical. And he put it in a hypothetical sense. Uh, he's not suggesting that anyone would live perfectly and would never need uh, any forgiveness. But he's saying in a hypothetical case, if, say, one did obey every single command of God all the time, every day of his life, well, somebody says, well, if he did that, he'd earn salvation. No, he wouldn't. He would, not, he would not earn salvation. He said, you still say we are unprofitable servants. Uh, if I do everything the Lord tells me to do and did it perfectly, I still, he still wouldn't owe me salvation. He still would not, uh, it would still not be a matter of works in that sense. It would still be a matter of grace until I can get to the point where I can also devise the plan and I can put the plan in motion, and I can execute the plan, and th then uh, I can might say then that I've earned it, that I've, I've done it been by my works. But uh, when we think about it, Jesus is the one, and of course God, uh, the Father through Jesus, is the one who conceived the plan. He uh, carried out the plan. He executed it in every way. He gave perfect instructions uh, that involved the plan. And then I come along and I read the plan and I obey it and it, say even hypothetically if I could obey every every single word of it, uh, I still would have to say it's unprofitable because I've just done what I've just worked, his work, and I've worked uh uh, his what he's made rather than doing my own. It, it'd be like me saying I, if I drove a Ford automobile and I drive that automobile and it works perfectly and I'm so proud of it and I tell folks about my car and what a great car it is and how that I have that car and what I haven't had a bit of trouble with it. It's never had a hiccup at all and so then I really can boast about having that car. Henry Ford didn't have a thing to do with it. Well, we did. The Ford Motor Company is one who designed it. They made it, and they made it possible for me to have it. And so I still can't say I have worked an automobile to my favor because I may drive the car. It's still, uh, if, I, if it worked, perfectly in my hand, it still would not be my product. It would be the product of the engineers at Ford Motor Company.
you know, another illustration I can think of is, you know, you, you begin to train your child yeah. to, for example, clean their room. Right. You may praise them a lot the first time they yeah. do that. I, I mean, there's going to be a day, Lord willing, when my son cleans his room and I'll be proud as punch of him, you know. Okay. But, uh, well, <laughs> but, but, but over time, that's to be an expected thing. Right. And, and it shouldn't be something that these proud as punch, you look what I right. did kind of deal. It's yeah. just like, okay, you did what you right. needed to do. Right. That's, that's good. Right. You know, it's not bad. Right. Uh, and certainly, um, we're not negating the idea of being saved. Um, but, but it is all God's effort. Yeah. It's all his work. Right. Um, you know, and first Peter talks about baptism as being, you know, the answer of a good conscience toward God. It's the working of his plan and not of our plan. That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the focus to be, to be shown is that, uh, that there is, there is a response. Right. There is a faith response. But, and I think most people would understand that there's some sort of faith response, but, but there's so many things that they're not willing to admit to. Well, and, it's, and it goes back to, uh, what, what Paul wrote to, uh, the Romans. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How that we are dead to sin, shall we continue that? And it just doesn't make sense to continue in sin. Uh, grace was not intended, uh, for man to have a license to sin. Uh, it's a, uh, it's the cure for sin, but it's not the license to sin. And, uh, the person who takes it as a license to sin, in my judgment, he falls into the, uh, category of those who are willfully going on sinning. And, uh, certainly they're condemned in, in the scriptures. I'm kind of flowing from that point. You made the point earlier this, uh, this week about Jesus being the lawgiver. Right. And, and, you know, I, I think that, that deals with a big, uh, misperception, a lot, uh, misunderstanding that a lot of people have that Jesus, uh, like a fellow told me one time, he said, you know, Jesus didn't care about the law. He, right. he didn't, you know, the Pharisees were the ones that were strict right. about it. But of course, we got passages where Jesus says, for example, in Matthew 5, 17, I haven't come to destroy the law. Right. I've come to fulfill it. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's not going to pass away until it's all fulfilled. So he says in verse 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. He came to fulfill it and, and the Old Testament law. And Jesus is our lawgiver today. Uh, he, um, he, he refers to his, the word of God today. He refers to it as the perfect law of, of liberty. It's a perfect law, but it's a law of liberty. Liberty in that it frees us from two things. It frees us, of course, from sin, uh, conditionally. And also it frees us from the, uh, uh, Boundaries that was placed upon us by the law. That is the law of Moses. So it's a law of liberty and it frees us from the law of Moses. Which the law of Moses was, an, could we say it was an imperfect law? Uh, Ultimately? Not, I mean, it, well, it was, it was, it was imperfect in that it could not complete what needed to be done. Uh, the, uh, man sinned and the law of Moses 
basically what it did. It multiplied sin by multiplying ordinances that could be disobeyed. And uh, you go back to the patriarchal dispensation, uh, and you read prior to the time of Moses, there was sin. Uh, and we read of some of the sins. But when you come to the uh, law of Moses and you see so many more things that were placed uh, in the um, law uh, that, gave, uh, that God gave uh, Moses on Sinai, uh, their regulation after regulation uh, concerning the sacrifices, concerning the temple, not the temple, but the tabernacle, later the temple, and just a lot more laws added and rules and regulations added to this law than had previously been. And so it, in that sense, there's more opportunity to disobey law. And so uh, law flourished uh, and sin flourished under that law. Now, Jesus came to... Uh, fulfill that, and he was uh, the only one to ever have kept it perfectly, and he fulfilled that, but not only that, but he gave his law, which is a different kind of law, uh, but at the same time, it was law, it had certain regulations, uh, and one of those regulations was that you no longer keep the old law, you no longer keep the uh, Old Testament law, that's one of the rules. That's a part of the perfect law of liberty. So it freed them from that, uh, the, uh, the boundaries of that law and the bondage that it kept one in. And it uh, took him away from that. And then it took, did what the law couldn't do. It could not ultimately take away sin. The forgiveness under the Old Testament law was uh, a token forgiveness. Uh, a person could be given, and I illustrate like this sometimes. Uh, some people say, well, under Old Testament law, our sins were rolled forward. Well, that's true in a way. But I, uh, the illustration I really like a little better than that is I, I use the term token forgiveness. Uh, like the person under the law, he was forgiven, but his sin was not taken away completely. And I, I use the illustration of a bank. If I go to the bank and I borrow money, uh, I'm indebted to the bank. Uh, it has my note. He has my signature there on the note. Uh, and often sin is uh, uh, compared to debts in the uh, New Testament. And so I put myself in debt to the bank for X number of dollars. Well, uh, time comes that I need to pay it. And the banks are funny about that. They always want you to pay it back when you uh, get it. Well, I can go to the banker and I can tell the banker, I know I owe you X number of dollars. I know the payment's due on it, or at least part of it, and I just can't pay it. Well, uh, and uh, would you please uh, forgive the note? Well, he says, I'll tell you what, uh, you won't have to make a payment this time. Uh at all, I, I, I forgive you of that payment, but it's going to stay on the books. And then the next time I fall short again, I come and I ask him again. He says, well, don't worry about it. You don't have to make a payment more. That will, 
we'll, we'll waive that right now. Uh, but it's still on the books. Well, ultimately, down the line, somebody's got to pay that off. I may have been released from paying it myself as I go along, but it didn't take it off the books. But Jesus, when he came, he came to take away sin. So he took it away in the sense he wiped the slate clean. That no longer is it on the books. So I'm not obligated to it now because it's not on the books. Previously, I was not obligated to make the payment because he'd waived the payment uh, to a later date. And uh, so we are under, we are under that system of sin, under the, or the Jews were, under the first covenant. And uh, they could have their sins waived or forgiven in that sense. But it never uh, was taken off the book till Jesus came and took away the sin. I think uh, a passage that kind of goes along with that is in uh, Galatians 3 and verse 11, but that no one is justified by the law on the side of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That that really speaks to what you're talking about there, is that Jesus' uh, uh, sacrifice, it reached all the way back, right. and it reached reaches all the way forward. And, and it, it can help us appreciate that. And there is, you know, with all these misunderstandings that people have, I think there there's a grain of truth in every bit of it. Right. And, and I'm not saying that to say right. that those misunderstandings are okay, but but we know that's the way Satan works. He's worked like that from the very yeah. beginning. Um, what he said to Eve had a grain of truth in it right. uh, about the fact that you know when you when you eat of this fruit, you're going to become like God. You know, well, that's there was some truth about that. They gained something out of that, but it wasn't good. But um, but you know, when we look at this all together, we can appreciate that you know Jesus. Jesus shows us a better way to live, um, and, and he showed, showed us that way by example, and he shows us that way through his teaching, through his word. Uh, so I think there's just a lot to look at there. And uh, and back to my, what I talked about a moment ago, uh, they under the law, uh, the forgiveness that was given to people, and they did have forgiveness because David talks about it in the Psalms, and but the, the forgiveness was that they were forgiven or relieved of an obligation to uh, their sin. They were relieved of the obligation, but they were not relieved of the debt. And so that obligation uh, could be, quote, roll those sins forward, maybe. But that's what was forgiven. And as far as they were concerned at the time, uh, they acted as though that they had indeed uh, been removed from the obligation of it. And David praises God for having forgiven him of his sins. But he he'd forgiven him of the obligation to it. He felt no more uh, personal guilt of it because it would had been taken away. But uh, still, the debt was still there. And uh, ultimately, all of those debts that were made by, under the Old Testament, even all those who had been forgiven the obligation to them, 
through the forgiveness offered in the Old Testament, they all were taken out of the way. And then under this testament, uh, the you, you when you go to uh, the Father and you've incurred the debt, it's immediately. Uh, not only are you re- released of the obligation to it, you're also, re- uh, and the penalty of it, but you're also uh, released of the uh, debt itself, and you no longer have a consciousness of sin in that sense. Yeah, Hebrews 11 talks about the fact that you know Abraham and yeah. uh, people like him of faith, they were looking for a heavenly country. Right. They were looking for something better. And I think, you know, I can't imagine living your life with the sense that, yes, I committed the sin and I've done what I need to do, yeah. but that's still not resolved. Right. I I think what you're saying is making sense in the sense that they must have had this thought at yeah. the time. And, and and that's how God phrased it in the Old yeah. Testament. If you do this, you will be forgiven. Yeah, right. And, and, and you know, I, I think they must have, you know, and it was that trust. Yeah. But also the trust that, Something that I can't see, something right. I can't know right now is going to come someday. Right. Right. And that, and that faith is just really humbling. Right. And, and, and it, and it's helpful to us. And like you say, in the situation we are in now, right. we don't have to worry about right. it. The, the, the pay, the payment has been made, right. but yet we still must like. I think that that's what the Hebrew writer says when there's no more consciousness of sin. Yes. That's uh, under this dispensation. Reason no more consciousness of sin because the debt has completely been eradicated. And yet we still see, like in First John 1, 9, if we confess our, our sins, each faithful just forgive us. Yeah. And when that forgiveness takes place, it's, it's all. It's not only are we re- relieved of any further obligation toward that sin or those sins that we confess at that time, we are released of any obligation toward it, but also uh, that sin is gone. Uh, and it is never, never... Uh, can be brought up again and uh it is does not yet to be taken away it's already taken away brother ed what are some ways that uh our listeners can get in contact with you well yeah i'm on facebook <laughs> uh for better or for worse but uh I, i'm there and they uh, can look my name up there or they can email me uh they just simply Ed Bragwell at gmail.com. And I'd be happy to uh, respond to it. And in uh, any way that I can help brethren anywhere within the scope of my ability, and I'm happy to do so. You also have a website. Right? Yeah, I do. It's uh, called Ed's Sermons and Things. I've, I've had it on for about 10 or 12 years now. And I still haven't figured out all the things yet, but uh, on I know this that when I first started, it was kind of a family thing, but I've expanded beyond that. Uh, it now it consists of, of a blog that I put up every so often. Uh, for a long time, I had a four-page handout called the Reflector that I put on there as well, but I've I've ceased that mainly because of time. Uh, didn't have time to keep it all up, but and replaced that more with the blog. And then I have uh, I have all back issues, the ones that didn't get destroyed in the basement and some water. Uh, I've got them on there. 
And I have uh, some audio sermons from various ones. And in the process now, uh, putting on some that I got uh, from a source here a while back of some of the later sermons of Brother Granville W. Tyler, who was uh, well-known and very beloved preacher of the gospel in uh, throughout the nation, uh, but particularly in the South and in Al- around Alabama. Uh, and I'm putting some of his sermons on now. And I've got some different ones who have been with us in places where I've lived and then we, that were recorded, uh, the uh, sermons. We have some of them, some of mine, and uh, that you can listen to. Just uh, several things that you can... Uh, might get some benefit from. And all, there's right close to a 1,000 sermon outlines on there. So that's definitely a good resource for our listeners to check out. It's edsermonsandthings.com. You're right. All right. All right. Well, uh, we're grateful for your time, Brother Ed. and uh, just, just my pleasure to be here. Well, thank you all for listening. And uh, next time, Lord willing, we'll be getting to Genesis chapter 15 with uh, me and Bryant, sort of like normal. But until then, study well and be lights to his glory. The music on this podcast is provided courtesy of Symphonia. Visit their website at symphonia.com. Walking Through the Book is created and promoted with the support of the North Columbus Church of Christ in Columbus, Mississippi. Find out more at northcolumbuschristians.com. The website of the Garden City Church of Christ in Savannah, Georgia is gardencitycoc.org.